Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome back. As I said, I'm going to keep this up. I am so happy to be in my element, and that element is being in the presence of God. So before we begin, so that we can move things along, we're going to say a short prayer. Heavenly Father, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, I praise your name, I worship you, and I glorify you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for another opportunity to come in your presence, to be able to fellowship with you, and to delve into your word. I just ask that the Holy Spirit come in our midst and give us the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that we need to be able to apply what we learn from these readings into our daily lives, as well as into the lives of others. And we just ask, Lord God, that things we don't understand, that you bring it to our attention or bring it to our knowledge, whether it be right now on this podcast or at any time. It could be in our sleep. It could just be during a daytime vision. But Heavenly Father, we just ask that you continue to fill us with more knowledge of you. And we just pray that you will lead me in this reading and in this discussion. For I am just the speaker delivering the message. I ask, Heavenly Father, that you decrease me and you increase in me. In the name of Jesus, amen. So I welcome you all back. We stopped at Genesis 42. If you are visiting for the first time and you just happen to click on this particular episode, you may want to go back and start off the Genesis series with us. If you are familiar with Genesis and you're like, hey, I know Genesis, doesn't matter where I start, then you know what? Keep on listening. If not, I just, you know, encourage you to go back, listen to uh, the previous episodes and uh, catch up. I do have some Q&A, just something a little fun for you to engage in as well. So when you have a chance, please answer the questions. I just like to interact with you and you can always send me a message as well. So with that being said, let's begin. Genesis chapter 43, and I am reading from the Good News Translation simply because I think for the most part it um it kind I guess you could say it sort of relays what the New King James Version or the King James Version is relaying just in um plainer English, right? So not so much the easy read version that I normally read every now and then, but um somewhere in between. Okay, so hopefully this will be helpful. But you can always read along with the King James Version or New King James Version. Okay, Genesis 43. And this is titled, Joseph's Brothers Return to Egypt with Benjamin. The famine in Canaan got worse. And when the family of Jacob had eaten all the grain which had been brought from Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, go back and buy a little food for us. Judah said to him, the man sternly warned us that we would not be admitted to his presence unless we had our brother with us. If you are willing to send our brother with us, we will go and buy food for you. If you are not willing, we will not go, because the man told us we would not be admitted to his presence unless our brother was with us. Jacob said, Why do you cause me so much trouble by telling the man that you had another brother? They answered, The man kept asking about us and our family. Is your father still living? Do you have another brother? We had to answer his questions. How could we know that he would tell us to bring our brother with us? Judah said to his father, Send the boy with me, and we will leave at once. Then one of us will starve to death. I will pledge my own life, and you can hold me responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you safe and sound, I will always bear the blame. If we had not waited so long, we could have been there and back twice by now. 
Their father said to them, if that is how it has to be, then take the best products of the land in your packs as a present for the governor. A little raisin, a little honey, spices, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Mm. Take with you also twice as much money because you must take back the money that was returned in the top of your sacks. Maybe it was a mistake. Take your brother and return at once. Uh, I'm going to stop very quickly. We're at uh, verse 14 now of chapter 43. If you remember, um, Joseph had asked his uh, servants to put the monies back into their sacks. You know, they were thinking maybe there was a mistake or some error. And so that's why their father's like, listen, take that money back, <laughs> you know, and, and give twice as much. You know, maybe it was just a mistake. All right. So let's go forward. Verse 14. May God Almighty cause the man to have pity on you so that he will give Benjamin and your brother back to you. As for me, if I must lose my children, I must lose them. So the brothers took the gifts and twice as much money and set out for Egypt with Benjamin. There they presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the servants in charge of his house, Take these men to my house. They are going to eat with me at noon. So kill an animal and prepare it. The servant did as he was commanded and took the brothers to Joseph's house. As they were being brought to the house, they were afraid and thought, We are being brought here because of the money that was returned in our sacks the first time. They will suddenly attack us, take our donkeys, and make us his slaves. So at the door of the house, they said to the servants in charge, If you please, sir, we came here once before to buy food. When we set up camp on the way home, we opened our sacks, and each man found his money in the top of his sack, every bit of it. We have brought it back to you. We have also brought some more money with us to buy more food. We do not know who put our money back in our sacks. The servant said, don't worry, don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, must have put the money in your sacks for you. I received your payment. Then he brought Simeon to them. The servant took the brothers into the house. <clears throat> he gave them water so that they could wash their feet. And he fed their donkeys. They got their gifts ready to present to Joseph when he arrived at noon, because they had been told that they were to eat with him. When Joseph got home, they took the gifts into the house to him and bowed down to the ground before him. Mm. They bowed down. My goodness. He asked about their health and said, You told me about your old father. How is he? Is he still alive and well? They answered, Your humble servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they knelt and bowed down before him. When Joseph saw his brother Benjamin, he said, So this is your youngest brother, the one you told me about? God bless you, my son. Then Joseph left suddenly, because his heart was full of tender feelings for his brother. He was about to break down, so he went to his room and cried. After he had washed his face, he came out and, controlling himself, he ordered the meal to be served. Joseph was served at one table and his brothers at another. The Egyptians who were eating there were served separately because they considered it beneath their dignity to eat with Hebrews. Hmm. The brothers had been seated at the table facing Joseph in the order of their age from the oldest to the youngest. When they saw how they had been seated, they looked at one another in amazement. Like, how would he know to seat us in this position? Like, how does he know I'm the older one? How does he know Benjamin is the youngest? That is quite interesting. <laughs> Food was served to them from Joseph's table. And Benjamin was served five times as much as the rest of them. So they ate and drank with Joseph until they were drunk. So this ends Genesis 43. 
Just a few things to unpack here. How humbling, right? You know, Joseph, it's so interesting. We had Bible studies and it just so happens to be the story of Joseph. I was like, wow, look at that. One of my favorite stories. So, you know, I was very active in that Bible studies, right? Uh, but yeah, back to this. So isn't it interesting how despite the adversities that Joseph faced, you know, what his brothers did to him, which in Bible studies, uh, some of the members were saying, you know, Joseph was young, you know, he probably wasn't even thinking that his brothers were being malicious. I mean, I think they said he was about 16 or something. I feel like he might have had an idea. I don't think he was completely oblivious to the fact that his brothers couldn't stand him, but he possibly took advantage of that, knowing that he was his father's favorite, right? And so um, who's to blame for all of that? Their father. You, you, you got to treat your children equal. You can never, even if you have one that you favor so much, you cannot make it obvious because every individual accounts for themselves. And this is why God says, train your children in the way of the Lord so that when they grow up, they will not depart from it. If all your children have a heart of gold, the heart of Christ in them, seldom would they want to attack one another or be against each other. You know, if you, you know, have something else to say to what I'm saying and you disagree, please, I welcome it. Let's talk about it, you know. But for the most part, I think Jacob really played a role in the jealousy that brewed amongst his older brothers and how they treated Joseph. But again, God has a reason for everything that he does. Because look at this. His dreams about his brothers and his family bowing to him pretty much showed itself in this moment. They bowed. You know, there was something they frowned upon when they heard his dream, like, excuse me? Oh, no, 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 no. We would rather kill you before we ever bow before you, you know? And so look at them now bowing before him and still have no idea. Then Joseph, this is another thing to unpack, has to really compose himself, right? He has to be in disguise. He has to play as though, you know, nothing is bothering him and he's just being the governor that he was appointed to be, you know, just trying to have this tough skin. But the moment he saw his brother and not having seen him for, what, probably 20-something years because Joseph was like in his 30s or early 40s, right? So, you know, you can imagine, like, I left my baby brother at a very young age and look at him. And he had to be human for a moment. He went away to go cry about it. And I think we can all relate to something like that. Like, no matter how much our siblings piss us off or annoy us, uh, if there is so much time between us, at some point when we see each other, we just can't help but cry out of joy. You know, we may curse each other out later and then just make up. But in that moment, you just embrace the fact that, wow, you're alive, you're well. I really missed you. That I have no other best friend than you. You know, that's we should be our first best friends to our siblings, right? Before they even take on best friends from the outside. So I don't want to dwell too much on this chapter, but I just felt like it was very humbling. It really brought the, the, the brothers to a place of humility, you know, and guilt, realizing that we messed up. We did a lot of bad things and look at what's happening to us now. And we could possibly be losing two brothers too. Oh my God. And then our father would possibly die of grief. Oh, we, we really messed up. So let's continue. Let's see what happens. So now they're all drunk, right? We're going into chapter 44. This is titled The Missing Cup. Joseph commanded the servant in charge of his house, fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry and put each man's money in the top of his sack. Put my silver cup in the top of the youngest brother's sack together with the money for his grain. He did as he was told. 
Early in the morning, the brothers were sent on their way with their donkeys. When they had gone only a short distance from the city, Joseph said to the servant in charge of his house, Hurry after those men. When you catch up with them, ask them, Why have you paid back evil for good? Why did you steal my master's silver cup? Can you imagine? Oh my God, you can imagine the, like the, the fear that would probably cripple them, right? When they hear this. It is the one he drinks from, the one he uses for divination. You have committed a serious crime. When the servant caught up with them, he repeated these words. They answered him, what do you mean, sir, by talking like this? We swear that we have done no such thing. You know that we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money we found in the top of our sacks. Why then should we steal silver or gold from your master's house? Sir, if any one of us is found to have it, he will be put to death, and the rest of us will become your slaves. He said, I agree, but only the one who has taken the cup will become my slave, and the rest of you can go free. So they quickly lowered their sacks to the ground, and each man opened his sack. Joseph's servants searched carefully, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. The brothers tore their clothes in sorrow, loaded their donkeys, and returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They bowed down before him, and Joseph said, What have you done? Didn't you know that a man in my position could find you out by practicing divination? What can we say to you, sir? Judah answered. How can we argue? How can we clear ourselves? God has uncovered our guilt. All of us are now your slaves, and not just the one with, the, with whom the cup was found. Joseph said, Oh no, I would never do that. Only the one who had the cup will be my slave. The rest of you may go back safe and sound to your father. Judah went up to Joseph and said, Please, sir, allow me to speak with you freely. Don't be angry with me. You are like the king himself. Sir, you asked us, Do you have a father or another brother? We answered, We have a father who was old and a younger brother born to him in his old age. The boy's brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's children still alive. His father loves him very much. Sir, you told us to bring him here so that you could see him, and we answered that the boy could not leave his father. If he did, his father would die. Then you said, you will not be admitted to my presence again unless your youngest brother comes with you. When we went back to our father, we told him what you had said. Then he told us to return and buy a little food. We answered, we cannot go. We would not be admitted to the man's presence unless our youngest brother is with us. We can only go if our youngest brother goes also. Our father said to us, You know that my wife Rachel bore me only two sons. One of them has already left me. He must have been torn to pieces by wild animals because I have not seen him since he left. If you take this one from me now and something happens to him, the sorrow you would cause me would kill me as old as I am. And now, sir, Judah continued, if I go back to my father without the boy, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with me, he will die. His life is wrapped up with the life of the boy, and he is so old that the sorrow we would cause him would kill him. What is more, I pledge my life to my father for the boy. I told him that if I did not bring the boy back to him, I would bear the blame all my life. And now, sir, I will stay here as your slave in place of the boy. Let him go back with his brothers. How can I go back 
to my father if the boy is not with me. I cannot bear to see this disaster come upon my father. And that ends chapter 44. Wow. Now, if you remember, Judah was one of the brothers who did not want uh, Joseph to be killed, you know, or anything like that, right? He was like, why is he in this well, you know? And they had decided, you know what, we'll just sell him off. But Judah wasn't there when that was happening. So if you remember, Judah was actually quite upset that they had sold Joseph off, right? And here's Judah again pleading on behalf of his brother Benjamin. Um, and, you know, later on in the Bible, as we continue to read, we learn about their tribes, right? Because uh, eventually each of them, nations came from each of them, right? Um, and we'll get there soon. But, you know, just looking at presently what's going on here, Judah is really saying, I'm just going to lay down my life. And I feel guilty that I wasn't able to do that when Joseph was taken. So this is my opportunity now. I think I need to do something. I need to step up. I need to redeem myself. I need to redeem my brothers and I'll be the one to be the scapegoat. I'll take it, please. You know, so let's see what Joseph says. We're now going to chapter 45. Joseph was no longer able to control his feelings in front of his servants, so he ordered them all to leave the room. No one else was with him when Joseph told his brothers who he was. He cried with such loud sobs as the, that the Egyptians heard it, and the news was taken to the king's palace. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But when his brothers heard this, they were so terrified that they could not answer. Can, you can only imagine, right? The shock. Then Joseph said to them, please come closer. They did. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be upset or blame yourselves because you sold me here. It was really God who sent me ahead of you to save people's lives. This is only the second year of famine in the land. There will be five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor reaping. God sent me ahead of you to rescue you in this amazing way and to make sure that you and your descendants survive. So it was not really you who sent me here, but God. He has made me the king's highest official. I am in charge of his whole country. I am the ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and tell him that this is what his son Joseph says. God has made me ruler of all Egypt. Come to me without delay. You can live in the region of Goshen, where you can be near me, you, your children, your grandchildren, your sheep, your goats, your cattle, and everything else that you have. If you are in Goshen, I can take care of you. There will still be five years of famine, and I do not want you, your family, or your livestock to starve. Joseph continued, Now all of you, and you too, Benjamin, can see that I am really Joseph. Tell my father how powerful I am here in Egypt, and tell him about everything that you have seen. Then hurry and bring him here. He threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and began to cry. Benjamin also cried as he hugged him. Then still weeping, he embraced each of his brothers and kissed them. After that, his brothers began to talk with him. When the news reached the palace that Joseph's brothers had come, the king and his officials were pleased. He said to Joseph, tell your brothers to load their animals and to return to the land of Canaan. Let them get their father and their families and come back here. I will give them the best land in Egypt, and they will have more than enough to live on. Tell them also to take wagons with them for, from Egypt for their wives and small children, and to bring their father with them. They are not to worry about leaving their possessions behind. The best in the whole land of Egypt will be theirs. Whew, talk about favor. Come on, God. 
Jacob's sons did as they were told. Joseph gave them wagons, as the king had ordered, and food for the trip. He also gave each of them a change of clothes. But he gave Benjamin 300 pieces of silver and five changes of clothes. He sent his father 10 donkeys loaded with the best Egyptian goods and 10 donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and other food for the trip. He sent his brothers off, and as they left, he said to them, Don't quarrel on the way. They left Egypt and went back home to their father Jacob in Canaan. <clears throat> Excuse me. Joseph is still alive, they told him. He is the ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned and could not believe them. But when they told him all that Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to take him to Egypt, he recovered from the shock. My son Joseph is still alive, he said. This is all I could ask for. I must go and see him before I die. And that ends chapter 45. Oh my. I mean, as I was reading this, I was just smiling. You know, maybe because I'm such a sucker for love and family and joy and happiness and peace. You know, I'm always looking for those things, um, which I think can also not be so good, right? Because when you don't get it, you might just get so upset and you shouldn't be getting upset. But that's neither here nor there. I'm sure anyone else can relate with what I'm saying, hopefully. But um, isn't this amazing? You know, after Judah, I mean, with that type of plea that Judah made, Hello, I would have forgiven him too. I'm like, listen, I can't, I can't carry on this facade anymore. Uh-uh. I need to break down. Okay, all of y'all out of the room, out of the room. Just these boys should remain. And he breaks down and he cries and he hugs, you know, the way he embraces them. The fact that he had this forgiving spirit, which is very important, right? He 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 exemplifies not only strong faith but forgiveness, humility, obedience, and perseverance. He had to persevere. These are very major things that Joseph, uh, very major attributes, characteristics that Joseph embodied in his journey, you know, in his story. And this is just awesome. And, and I really pray that for you and I that are probably going through some things with our siblings and, and it seems um, irreconcilable, like, it's just not going to happen. I'm never going to be forgiven or I'm never going to forgive. You know, I just pray, pray that God puts the spirit of forgiveness in our hearts, that we're able to forgive. There's nothing more than family. When I tell you God was so intentional about families, so much so that the enemy would do anything to try and destroy because a, a strong family is, especially in the faith, oh, please, the enemy has no place. He'll try. The weapon may form, but it will never prosper. Amen. Amen, somebody. So that's a beautiful chapter. Let's move on to chapter 46. And so Jacob packed up all he had and went to Beersheba, where he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. God spoke to him in a vision at night and called, Jacob, Jacob. Yes, here I am, he answered. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go to Egypt. I will make your descendants a great nation there. Amen. I will go with you to Egypt, and I will bring your descendants back to this land. Joseph will be with you when you die. Jacob set out from Beersheba. His sons put him, their small children, and their wives in the wagons which the king of Egypt had sent. They took their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan and went to Egypt. Jacob took all his descendants with him, his sons, his grandsons, his daughters, and his granddaughters. The members of Jacob's family who were in Egypt with him were his oldest son, Reuben, and Reuben's sons, Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi, Simeon and his sons, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, 
Zohar and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman, Levi and his sons, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, Judah and his sons, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. Judah's other sons, Ur and Onan, had died in Canaan. I think you guys remember that story with Ur and Onan. Perez's sons were Hezron and Hamul, Ishakar and his sons, Tola, Pua, Jeshub, and Shimron, Zebulun and his sons, Sered, Elon, and Jalil. These are the sons that Leah had born to Jacob in Mesopotamia, besides his daughter, Dina. In all, his descendants by Leah numbered 33. Gad and his sons, Zephon, Haggai, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Arad, and Arali, Asher and his sons, Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, Bariah, and their sister, Sarah. Bariah's sons were Heber and Machiel. These 16 are the descendants of Jacob by Zilpah, the slave woman who Laban gave to his daughter, Leah. Jacob's wife, Rachel, bore him two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. In Egypt, Joseph had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim by Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, a priest in Heliopolis. Benjamin's sons were Bela, Beker, Ashbel, Gera, Naman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. These 14 are the descendants of Jacob by Rachel. Dan and his son Hushim, Naphtali and his sons Jazil, Guni, Jezer, and Shalem. So Dan, one of his sons, only had one son, Hushim. These seven are the descendants of Jacob by Bilhah, the slave woman from Laban, gave, um, from whom Laban gave to his daughter Rachel. If you all remember, Laban was the father of Rachel and, and Leah, you know, when um, Jacob wanted just Rachel for his wife. I think you guys remember that. If not, please go back to the previous episodes and catch up or just go ahead and open up the Bible and read it. All right. Verse 26, the total number of the direct descendants of Jacob who went to Egypt was 62 not including his son's wives. Two sons were born to Joseph in Egypt, bringing to 70 the total number of Jacob's family who went there. 70. That's already a nice little country in itself, right? Jacob sent Judah ahead to ask Joseph to meet them in Goshen. When they arrived, Joseph got in his chariot and went to Goshen to meet his father. When they met, Joseph threw his arms around his father's neck and cried for a long time. Jacob said to Joseph, I am ready to die now that I have seen you and know that you are still alive. A parent's love, huh? Then Joseph said to his brothers and the rest of his father's family, I must go and tell the king that my brothers and all my father's family who were living in Canaan have come to me. I will tell him that you are shepherds and take care of livestock and that you have brought your flocks and herds and everything else that belongs to you. When the king calls for you and asks what your occupation is, be sure to tell him that you have taken care of livestock all your lives, just as your ancestors did. In this way, he will let you live in the region of Goshen. Joseph said this because Egyptians still have nothing to do with. Um, Joseph said this because Egyptians will have nothing to do with shepherds. Mm, that ends chapter forty-six. That is interesting. Joseph said this because Egyptians will have nothing to do with shepherds. So I can't help but think about the significance of shepherds, right? And um, tending livestock and flock. Jesus considers himself the shepherd, right? 
and we are the sheep. Would you look at that? That's why they say in the beginning was the word, the word was God, and the word is God. <laughs> the word was always Jesus Christ when he came. You know, this is just amazing. I, I, you know, I, even though I've read Genesis, it's like every time I go back and I read it, the, the Holy Spirit just makes me understand something more. You know, that's that uh, symbolism of us being the sheep and Jesus being the shepherd. It's the same way as any of us Christians who have decided to take on the discipleship for Jesus Christ. It means that we have a flock that we need to tend to, that we need to lead, that we need to groom, that in turn, those flocks may become shepherds of their own flock, right? And this is how we continue to build the kingdom of God. Amen, somebody. Wow, this is just so deep on so many levels. Um, but we'll take a quick intermission and then we're going to get back right at it. We are on chapter 47 and we are moving just as the spirit is moving. So I'll be right back. Do not touch that dial. Get you some hot chocolate or some coffee and come right back. Okay. Peace to you all. I'll be right back. All right. Grace and peace to everyone. Thank you so much for staying with me. We're going to go right on in. We are now in chapter 47 of the book of Genesis. Let's go ahead and begin. So Joseph took five of his brothers and went to the king. He told him, my father and my brothers have come from Canaan with their flocks, their herds, and all that they own. They are now in the region of Goshen. He then presented his brothers to the king. The king asked them, what is your occupation? We are shepherds, sir, just as our ancestors were, they answered. We have come to live in this country because in the land of Canaan, the famine is so severe that there is no pasture for our flocks. Please give us permission to live in the region of Goshen. The king said to Joseph, now that your father and your brothers have arrived, the land of Egypt is theirs. Let them settle in the region of Goshen, the best part of the land. And if there are any capable men among them, put them in charge of my own livestock. Then Joseph brought his father, Jacob, and presented him to the king. Jacob gave the king his blessing and the king asked him, how old are you? Jacob answered, My life of wandering has lasted 130 years. Those years have been few and difficult, unlike the long years of my ancestors in their wanderings. Jacob gave the king a farewell blessing and left. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt, giving them property in the land, in the best of the land near the city of Ramesses, as, he, uh, as the king had commanded. Joseph provided food for his fathers, his brothers, and all the rest of his father's family, including the very youngest. The famine was so severe that there was no food anywhere, and the people of Egypt and Canaan became weak with hunger. As they bought grain, Joseph collected all the money and took it to the palace. When all the money in Egypt and Canaan was spent, the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Don't let us die. Do something. Our money is all gone. Joseph answered, Bring your livestock. I will give you food in exchange for it if your money is all gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. That year he supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock. The following year they came to him and said, We will not hide the fact from you, sir, that our money is all gone and our livestock belongs to you. There is nothing left to give you except our bodies and our lands. Don't let us die. Do something. Don't let our fields be deserted. Buy us and our land in exchange for food. 
we will be the king's slaves and we will own and he will own our land. Give us grain to keep us alive and seed so that we can plant our fields. Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for the king. Every Egyptian was forced to sell his land because the famine was so severe and all the land became the king's property. Joseph made slaves of the people from one end of Egypt to the other. The only land he did not buy was the land that belonged to the priests. They did not have to sell their lands because the king gave them an allowance to live on. Joseph said to the people, You see, I have now bought you and your lands for the king. Here is seed for you to sow in your fields. At the time of harvest, you must give one-fifth to the king. You can use the rest for seed and for food for yourselves and your families. They answered, You have saved our lives. You have been good to us, sir, and we will be the king's slaves. So Joseph made it a law for the land of Egypt that one-fifth of the harvest should belong to the king. This law still remains in force today. Only the lands of the priests did not become the king's property. The Israelites lived in Egypt in the region of Goshen, where they became rich and had many children. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years until he was 147 years old. When the time drew near for him to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, Place your hand between my thighs and make a solemn vow that you will not bury me in Egypt. I want to be buried where my fathers are. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. Joseph answered, I will do as you say. Jacob said, Make a vow that you will. Joseph made the vow, and Jacob gave thanks there on his bed. So this ends chapter 47. So as you can see in this chapter, um, what pretty much plays out is, you know, the dream that um, the king had, you know, Joseph interpreting that dream and telling him the things that was going to happen, and then Joseph advising him on what to do so that the people would not starve um, or die of hunger, and how to maintain the food that they will have for the seven years of famine. And you see it playing out in this chapter. You know, the people ran out of money, they ran out of livestock. At this point, they're like, listen, we are ready to do anything, even become your slaves, as long as we can feed our family, keep our you know, generation going, obviously, and um, to be able to grow food again. And so Joseph was put in a position where he could even create a law. You know, and they say that law still stands today where one-fifth of their earnings would go to the king. Um, I guess you would call that tax, right? <laughs> so that's what, uh, I guess that's where taxes began. But it, I don't know if it was called taxes then. I, I, it probably, I think it happened later on. And we're going to read as we get into other books of the Bible. But, um, you know, we go further and we see here with Jacob's last request, what he wanted. And it just reminds me of my culture, right? Or just the country that my parents come from, which is Nigeria. And I represent Nigeria all day, every day. So woo -woo to my Nigerians listening, um, God bless that country. It is so out of order, but it is such a blessed land as well. So I just pray for the people on that land to remember that there is a God that they serve, you know, and just humble themselves and cry out to the Lord. He would definitely heal that land. But until then, you know, what can I say? Uh, but for the most part, um, this particular part where Jacob's last request was for him to be buried in his land, on his land, is the same thing we do in our culture to this day. It's like, yeah, I might have lived in America for 45 years or something like that, but um, when I die, please take me back to Nigeria. I want to be buried on my land. That is my soil, not this one. Um, so there's a lot of uh, significance to that. I'm sure anyone else could relate to this as well. Okay, 
So let us continue. We are going to chapter 48 and we're moving along here. This is wonderful. Some time later, Joseph was told that his father was ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and went to see Jacob. When Jacob was told that his son Joseph had come to see him, he gathered his strength and sat up in bed. Jacob said to Joseph, Almighty God appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. He said to me, I will give you many children so that your descendants will become many nations. I will give this land to your descendants as their possession forever. Jacob continued, Joseph, your two sons who were born to you in Egypt before I came here belong to me. Ephraim and Manasseh are just as much my sons as Reuben and Simeon. If you have any more sons, they will not be considered mine. The inheritance they get will come through Ephraim and Manasseh. I am doing this because of your mother, Rachel. To my great sorrow, she died in the land of Canaan, not far from Aprath, as I was returning from Mesopotamia. I buried her there beside the road to Eprath. Eprath is now known as Bethlehem. When Jacob saw Joseph's sons, he asked, Who are these boys? Joseph answered, These are my sons, whom God has given me here in Egypt. Jacob said, Bring them to me so that I may bless them. Jacob's eyesight was failing because of his age, and he couldn't see very well. Joseph brought the boys to him, and he hugged them and kissed them. Jacob said to Joseph, I never expected to see you again, and now God has even let me see your children. Then Joseph took them from, the, from Jacob's lap and bowed down before him with his face to the ground. Joseph put Ephraim at Jacob's left and Manasseh at his right. But Jacob crossed his hands and put his right hand on the head of Ephraim, even though he was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, who was the older. Then he blessed Joseph. May God, whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, served, bless these boys. May God, who has led me to this very day, bless them. May the angel who has rescued me from all harm bless them. May my name and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, live on through these boys. May they have many children, many descendants. Joseph was upset when he saw that his father had put his right hand on Ephraim's head. So he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to the head of Manasseh. He said to his father, not that way, father. This is the older boy. Put your right hand on his head. His father refused, saying, I know, son, I know. Manasseh's descendants will also become a great people, but his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become great nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, The Israelites will use your, your names when they pronounce blessings. They will say, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. In this way, Jacob put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Jacob said to Joseph, As you see, I am about to die. But God will be with you and will take you back to the land of your ancestors. It is to you and not to your brothers that I am giving Shechem, that fertile region which I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. And that ends chapter 48. Wow. So if anyone else who has read the book of Genesis and more so the story of Jacob and his family, you would probably be thinking the same thing I'm thinking right now. I'll pause. Yep, <laughs> I was saying, look at history repeating itself, except in this way, there wasn't any deception, right? It was meant to be that way, as if God had possibly spoken with Jacob prior to him meeting Joseph and his sons, you know, um, telling him what 
the future was going to be with Ephraim and Manasseh? Maybe. Um, or is it just coincidental that his hands happened to cross that way and it just worked out that the younger one was receiving the blessings of the elder one? Because, you know, there's this significance again, even in my culture, with the right hand and the left hand. And so it's just interesting to see here how history repeats itself with Jacob and Esau, right? Because Jacob happened to be, through deception, the one that was given the blessings of Esau. You know, if you guys remember when he went to go and um, kill the meat and all of that, and then he disguised himself to be as hairy as his brother Esau and all that stuff. And so, um, and we're going to learn a lot about um, Esau's family and his descendants and all of that. But um, here we go again with the same thing happening. Not that, you know, Ephraim's lineage was not going to be blessed. It would definitely be great, but not as great as Manasseh's. And I think as we continue to read through the Bible, we'll get to start understanding these various tribes and the nations that have come from the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So let's continue. We are now in chapter 49. Jacob called for his sons and said, gather around and I will tell you what will happen to you in the future. Come together and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. Reuben, my firstborn, you are my strength and the first child of my manhood, the proudest and strongest of all my sons. You are like a raging flood, but you will not be the most important, for you slept with my concubine and dishonored your father's bed. Simeon and Levi are brothers. They use their weapons to commit violence. I will not join in their secret talks, nor will I take part in their meetings, for they killed people in anger and they crippled bulls for sport. A curse be on their anger because it is so fierce, and on their fury because it is so cruel. I will scatter them throughout the land of Israel. I will disperse them among its people. Judah, your brothers will praise you. You hold your enemies by the neck. Your brothers will bow down before you. Judah is like a lion. The lion of Judah! Hello! Killing his victim and returning to his den stretching out and lying down no one dares disturb him judah will hold the royal scepter and his descendants will always rule nations will bring him tribute and bow in obedience before him he ties his young donkey to a grapevine to the very best of the vines he washes his clothes in blood red wine his eyes are bloodshot from drinking wine his teeth white from drinking milk zebulun will live beside the sea his shore will be a haven for ships his territory will reach as far as Sidon. Issachar is no better than a donkey that lies stretched out between its saddlebags, but he sees that the resting place is good and that the land is delightful, so he bends his back to carry the load and is forced to work as a slave. Dan will be a ruler for his people. They will be like the other tribes of Israel. Dan will be a snake at the side of the road a poisonous snake beside the path that strikes at the horse's heel so that the rider is thrown off backward. I wait for your deliverance, Lord. Gad will be attacked by a band of robbers, but he will turn and pursue them. Asher's land will produce rich food. He will provide food fit for a king. Wow. Naphtali is a deer that runs free who bears lovely fawns. Um, Naphtali fawns or Naphtali is like a spreading tree that puts out lovely branches. Interesting. 
Verse 22, Joseph is like a wild donkey by a spring, a wild colt on a hillside. His enemies attack him fiercely and pursue him with bows and arrows, but his bow remains steady, and his arms are made strong by the power of the mighty God of Jacob, by the shepherd, the protector of Israel. It is your father's God who helps you, the almighty God who blesses you with blessings of rain from above and of deep waters from beneath the ground, blessings of many cattle and children, blessings of grain and flowers, blessings of ancient mountains, delightful things from everlasting hills. May these blessings rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the one set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is like a vicious wolf. Morning and evening he kills and devours. These are the twelve tribes of Israel. And this is what their father said as he spoke a suitable word of farewell to each son. Then Jacob commanded his sons, Now that I am going to join my people in death, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, at Machpelah, east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan. Abraham brought his bought this cave and field from Ephron for a burial ground. And I think you guys remember that when uh, Abraham made that exchange. And um, at the time, Ephron was saying, oh, no, 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 no. You don't even have to pay me. Like, you know, you can just go ahead and take it. And he was like, nope, there has to be like a solid agreement that I bought this land. And it is for my family, for my descendants. So just to take you down memory lane real quick, because that was the very beginning um, of the Bible. Yeah, that is where they buried Abraham and his wife, Sarah. That is where they buried Isaac and his wife, Rebekah. And that is where I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it were bought from the Hittites. Bury me there. When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he lay back down and died. And that ends chapter 49. So what's interesting here is when Jacob was pretty much giving the future forecast of his sons I, I can't help but wonder and maybe we can always revisit this in like a regular discussion but I can't help but wonder was Jacob under the influence of the Holy Spirit and was sort of prophesying at the same time right or because Jacob witnessed the lives of his children uh, that he just knew this was what's going to become of them you know, so it makes me wonder, our fathers, um, especially back in those days, they had so much command. You know, there's definitely a reason that God created man in his own image and, and created us to be even above the angels in heaven, right? We're supposed to possess everything, even over animals and livestock and everything, right? But we have this tendency to want to just possess one another. That was not the way God intended it to be. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. And so I, I wonder, could it be one of those things? right was 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 Jacob just speaking from the experience of knowing his sons and just forecasting what their life would be in the future or was it the holy spirit that was speaking through Jacob when he made that knowing that it was time you know and God was calling him home and of course here we go again him wanting to be buried where the god of his um forefathers were buried then what i also noticed was he only talked about his sons what about dina why wasn't Dina talked about anymore? I mean, we the first time we hear about her is when she was born and it was like, yep, she had a daughter. Boom, that was it. And then later on, you, if you guys remember when they were in that town, um, we talked about Dina being raped, right? And what the brothers did because of that, they committed an egregious sin just to get back at the, the man. Um, I think it was 
uh, was it Haman? No, Shaman. Please, God, I'm so I'm so sorry, guys. I feel like there's so many names <laughs> that I just can't keep up with it, but I definitely know um, the story behind it. So I think you guys know what I'm talking about. But yeah, that's the next time that the last time actually that you hear about Dina. And so I wonder what became of Dina. You know, why wasn't there? a nation from her or was she part of another nation maybe we'll learn this further on i don't know but i just ask that the holy spirit will please you know reveal that to me like as i'm reading the word i just boom and like oh there goes dina again aha this is what happens so if that happens to me i will definitely share that with you guys and um yeah so it's just interesting to see and remember what i said about judah you know look at how his um his prophecy, his future prophecy just sounds so promising. I mean, hence the name, the Lion of Judah. Judah's very powerful next to Israel, right? Um, so we're gonna, we're definitely gonna learn a lot more and um, see the significance of all these tribes and see how it plays out. Does the future actually come to fruition as Jacob had prophesied? We don't know, but we will find out as we continue in our reading journey. So now that takes me to chapter 50 of the book of Genesis. This is so good. We're, we're moving along. Joseph threw himself on his father, crying and kissing his face. Then Joseph gave orders to embalm his father's body. It took 40 days, the normal time for embalming. And let's, um, you know, just kind of highlight 40 days or write it down somewhere. Those of you that are listening. Um, 40 days seems to be a very significant number. It's funny, my husband and I were actually talking about that, but we'll get there soon. The Egyptians mourned him 70 days. When the time of mourning was over, Joseph said to the king's officials, please take this message to the king. When my father was about to die, he made me a promise. Um, he made me promise him that I would bury him in the tomb, which he had prepared in the land of Canaan. So please let me go and bury my father and then I will come back. The king answered, go, go and bury your father as you promised you would. So Joseph went to bury his father. All the king's officials, the senior men of his court and all the leading men of Egypt went with Joseph. His family, his brothers and the rest of his father's family all went with him. Only their small children and their sheep, goats and cattle stayed in the region of Goshen. Men in chariots and men on horseback also went with him. It was a huge group. When they came to the threshing place at Atad, east of the Jordan, they mourned loudly for a long time, and Joseph performed mourning ceremonies for seven days. When the citizens of Canaan saw those people mourning at Atad, they said, What a solemn ceremony of mourning the Egyptians are holding. That is why the place was named Abel Mizraim. Abel Mizraim. And this name sounds like the Hebrew for mourning of the Egyptians. So Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. They carried his body to Canaan and buried it in the cave at Machpelah, east of Mamre, in the field of which Abraham had bought from Ephron the Hittite for a burial ground. After Joseph had buried his father, he returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone with him for the funeral. After the death of their father, Joseph's brother said, What if Joseph still hates us and plans to pay us back for all the harm we did to him? Well, would you look at the enemy? So they sent a message to Joseph. Before our father died, he told us to ask you, please forgive the crime your brothers committed when they wronged you. Now please forgive us the wrong that we, the servants of your father's God, have done. Joseph cried when he received the message. He's probably like, are you guys kidding me after everything I did? I embraced you, I hugged you. But you know, you just can't trust mankind, right? 
Then his brothers themselves came and bowed down before him. Here we are before you as your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I can't put myself in the place of God. You plotted evil against me, but God turned it into good in order to preserve the lives of many people who are alive today because of what happened. You have nothing to fear. I will take care of you and your children. So he reassured them with kind words that touched their hearts. Joseph continued to live in Egypt with his father's family. He was 110 years old when he died. 110, wow. He lived to see Ephraim's children and grandchildren. He also lived to receive the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, into the family. He said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will certainly take care of you and lead you out of this land to the land he solemnly promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then Joseph asked his people to make a vow. Promise me, he said, that when God leads you to that land, you will take my body with you. So Joseph died in Egypt at the age of 110. They embalmed his body and put it in a coffin. And that ends chapter 50, which also concludes the Genesis series, y'all. Oh my goodness, we did it. Thank you, Jesus. And wasn't it awesome? And what a great way to end the book of Genesis, right? You know, what did we learn from all the stories from the beginning of sin, the beginning of murder and jealousy and hate and crime and love and humility and forgiveness and perseverance and obedience. You know, um, we, we learned so much, right? So many things were unpacked in Genesis, but all these characters that we saw in, I should say, all these, uh, attributes that we found in these characters that were described in the Bible and in their stories, we can still relate to it today, maybe more modernized, but it still happens today. Families at each other's throats, you know, um, nations hating on other nations and, and, and countries thinking that they can dominate another country, America, but you know, that's neither here nor there. You know, we just, we find life just repeating itself, history repeating itself, history repeating itself as it modernizes because of science, right? Because of man and their thinking. And um, it's just wonderful. I, I really, when I tell you guys, I love the story of Joseph. I love the story of Joseph. And, you know, this could just be my own speculation, but Joseph dying before his older brothers, you know, Reuben, all of them, he died before them. It just makes me wonder, hmm, God probably said, you know what? It's time to take my humble servant. You know, Joseph really, at least from what we've read in the book, served God, was obedient, you know, um, displayed acts of humility and kindness and love and forgiveness. You know, these are things that God wants us to embody, especially as Christians, you know, walking this walk and, and calling ourselves soldiers for Christ. He wants us to embody these characteristics that Joseph embodied you know, in this story. And so could God have just said, you know what, I'm taking him early. You know, this man lived a great life. I'm not going to keep him on this earth to possibly do something that would cause him to sin, you know? Um, and then even with his brothers, even though there's the prophecy of what their future was going to be like, uh, at the end of the day, they still were brought to repentance. They were brought to humility. They had no choice but to come to their brother and, and like, wholeheartedly seek forgiveness. Their hearts were so heavy that dad, with everything that we did, as much as we hated him, you know, look at all that he's doing for us. 
Now, I wonder if God had not touched Joseph, would he have been this way with his brothers? Who knows? The enemy would have probably put the, the memory in his head of what they did to him. And he would have used this opportunity to abuse them and oppress them and all those kind of things. He probably would have, you know, been against his father. Like, why didn't you come looking for me? Why didn't you send people to look for me? You just chalked it up that I was dead. You know what I'm saying? But no, that's not the way God intended it. God, when God wants to show that he is the I am that I am, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, he will show it and he will harden or soften the hearts of those that needs to receive that softening or hardening for him to carry out his purpose, you know? And so this is just amazing. It was wonderful. I definitely appreciate you guys um, for tuning in and, and hanging in there with me. Next week, we are going to begin the book of Exodus, the exit, because remember, there was a promise to the people of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, right? And so Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's how I should say it, Jacob, aka Israel. There's a promise for the Israelites that they are going to be taken to their promised land. And so the book of Exodus is where we begin to learn about the exiting of the Israelites. But it came with a lot of patience and suffering and complaining and agony and so much more. So you guys sit tight. I appreciate you once again for your support. Um, you know, I do have like a link there for your support to just do more with my studio to be able to actually record myself while I'm doing this. So I definitely need the equipments that will support me in doing that. So any amount, I don't even care if you drop 50 cents. Let me tell you, coins add up, okay? But I will definitely appreciate it. If you do that, I would appreciate you sharing this podcast if you find it um you know, enlightening, if you find it uh, humbling to your spirit, if you find it causing you to develop an interest in actually learning more about God and learning more about the, the stories and the people who witnessed God's hand, you know, firsthand, right? Before God became very, very, very far from mankind. But, you know, doesn't mean that we can't get to him. We have Jesus for that. Hey, we got an advocate. But nonetheless, it's, it's an opportunity to really uh, start a spiritual journey with Christ um, um, and with God through Christ. So if it's, you know, doing something for you, if it's hitting a soft spot, then please, as God lays it on your heart, any support will do. I definitely welcome it. Um, if not, hey, let me tell you something. You might not be able to do it, but somebody else can. So if you can just share it, doesn't hurt to share just to say, hey, I actually like this podcast. Sounds really good. Why don't you take a listen? That would be great. It would definitely help. So once again, I say thank you. Make sure you guys tune in next week. I will be back with a new book and we're going to start chapter one of Exodus, a.k.a. The Exit. God bless you all and uh, make sure you stay tuned. Put God first. Always put God first. I'm so sorry. I got to remember that. Put God first. Love you guys. Be blessed.